Welcome, everybody, to The Legal Brief. I'm Misty Maris. I'm here with my executive producer, Lauren Mincer-Clark. And today we have a story to cover that really just keeps on getting more and more involved and crazy, and so many details are coming out. And it combines our two favorite things, The Real Housewives. It really does. (laughs) Yes. The Real Housewives and true crime. And what's so interesting about this is that these Housewives uh, franchises are playing out more like true crime series than the Housewives of Days of Yore, where we were just watching women... Uh, you know, spending a lot of money in these Talking beautiful about their expensive glasses, <laughs> yes, exactly. Designer clothes and all of that. Now there are these really serious and significant legal issues that are playing out before our eyes in the series. And quite frankly, Lauren, as a defense attorney, I have to say, and, and we'll get into this in a little bit more detail, I have to say that it, it's it, there's has to be so much angst on that defense team because any information that's put out into the public sphere, any statements made by a client to the public is usually very, very much controlled by attorneys and advice is given on every aspect of what's out there because it can (laughs) all come back to haunt you when you get into that courtroom. So it's really interesting the amount of detail we're finding out just from watching the show. Absolutely. Well, absolutely. And so, and just to recap, you know, so the listeners know Jen Shaw was arrested along with her, uh, with her assistant, Stuart Smith back in March of 2021. And we've obviously been watching this play out because it happened on camera, but it's a very real ongoing, huge federal case. She's been charged um, with her alleged role with Stuart Smith uh, in a massive fraud and money scheme, allegedly ripping off hundreds of people, many of which potentially seniors. Um, She's pleaded not guilty to the charges and Stewart did at first, but he has actually changed his plea on some of those counts to guilty. So Misty, where do we start with this one? Yeah, this is a lot to break down. And and that just happened a few days ago, Lauren, right. where the co-conspirator Stuart Smith, who and Jen Shaw and Stuart were indicted together, he changed his plea from not guilty to guilty. And that's really significant. But let's, as you said, let's take it back and go uh, the building blocks here. How did we get to this point? So the scheme allegedly took place from 2012 through March of 2021. So we're talking about nine years. That's the allegations. This is what the federal government says. They carried out a wide ranging telemarketing scheme that targeted people who are 55 and older. So the whole idea here is that Jen Shaw, Stuart Smith, and two dozen, it's really, it's about two dozen people that have been charged in some capacity in this case, were part of this scheme to sell these business services in connection with purported online businesses. So this this was not just involving one or two people. This was a widespread scam, according to the federal government. And just so you know, Lauren, and so our listeners understand, federal this, it's a federal crime to begin with, the, these targeted mm-hmm. scams for the purpose of defrauding. But there's actually enhanced 
sentencing and the charges are enhanced when it targets a particularly vulnerable group. So ah. yeah, so here it's seniors. So you're targeting people who are already vulnerable. And that's why we see such significant charges in this case. So it's actually a, it, it from a from a perspective of the law, it becomes more serious charges when you are going after vulnerable people. So in order to perpetrate, excuse me, listeners, I had a little bit of a tongue twister there, <laughs> but in order to perpetrate this scheme, the uh, the federal government alleges that Shaw and Smith engaged in this coordinated effort to traffic lists of potential victims, which are called leads. So mm-hmm. many of these had already made a previous investment to create these online businesses, but quite frankly, according to this indictment, the allegation is there was never any, 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 any indication that Shaw Smith or any of the people involved in this scheme actually uh, were going to help them run online businesses or what there was going to be any funds generated to these victims. So that's where we're, that's where, uh, that's where the charges come from. Now, the leads were initially generated by sales floors operating in a variety of different states. And then the owners and operators of those sales floors in coordination with Shaw and Smith uh, and this happened in New York and New Jersey, including Manhattan, applied those, uh, provided those lead lists um, in order to target mm. these individuals who were particularly susceptible to the fraud. So that's how this all fits together. Now, Lauren, it's really, really important to understand uh, the implications of this. So we're talking about a conspiracy. Right. That doesn't just involve one, two, three, four people. We're talking about a conspiracy where the allegation is it's two dozen people. So every mm-hmm. every person in this uh, in this alleged scheme has a certain level of culpability, according to the federal government. So Sean Smith, among other allegations, they generated and sold these lists to other participants in the scheme to use on those telemarketing floors with the knowledge that the individuals they identified would be defrauded. That's the key. That's the key. The the allegation is they never thought that they were, Jen or Shaw and Smith never thought that they were providing these leads to these telemarketing floors because they may or may not have business developed out of this, right? It was for Mm -hmm. the purpose of defrauding them. So that's where this all comes together. So this is from 2012 to March 2021. March 2021, Shaw and Smith are indicted. But let's put together the building blocks here. Right, because we have to backtrack to 2019, right? Where there's some of these other people in that two dozen that you're talking about. Am I correct? Other people pled guilty in this case relating to this before. Yes. So in 2019, so two years before Sean Smith were indicted, we saw uh, charges against 10 other individuals all allegedly part of this same conspiracy. This was the result of a years-long investigation. So all of this were on similar facts. So as we just went over, everybody plays a different piece in this conspiracy to defraud, according Mm -hmm. to the indictments. So 10 people were indicted back in November 2019. They pled guilty. Now, their sentences were all from five to seven years. So significant sentences. Now, 
Fast okay. forward. So now we've got two years in between. So we've got a fraud scam allegedly starting in 2012. We have mm-hmm. indictments against 10 individuals in 2019. We have plea deals, guilty pleas in 2019. And then about two years later, we see more charges in what's called a superseding indictment, meaning mm-hmm. additional defendants added, additional charges added against Jen Shaw and Stuart Smith. So there's this two-year period of time in between the first group of people, this first group of 10, and Shaw and Smith. So what does that, what, what does that time period and all of these time periods, what does that kind of tell you? It tells me that the feds have a tight case. They're crossing their T's, they're mm-hmm. dotting their I's. They're not they're taking their yeah, time. not knee-jerk reaction, taking their time, gathering evidence. So when it comes time to go before that grand jury and get the indictments, they have their case. They already have a lot of the evidence locked up. Also, Lauren, so think about this. They're they're investigating years before the 2019 indictments. You have these 10 individuals plead guilty. In general, especially in conspiracy mm-hmm. cases. What the federal government wants to do is go after the people who are lower on the totem pole in the conspiracy. They want to go start low and then get higher and higher and higher until they have enough evidence against who we would deem the mastermind. So it tells me since we had these people plead guilty in 2019, that they struck deals with the federal government. They struck deals. And in order to strike a deal for leniency Hmm. and sentencing, you have to give up information. That's the way it works. And you have to say, come the time of a trial of somebody else involved in this conspiracy, you'll testify, you'll cooperate, you'll provide information, and you're going to be cooperative on every level with the federal government. So I don't think there's any coincidence that you have these guilty pleas in 2019. And then all of a sudden, two years later, so another two years of investigation, Lauren, you have Mm -hmm. Smith and Shaw indicted. My guess, these other individuals who pled guilty gave information about participants in this conspiracy who are deemed to be more culpable, the big fish, the masterminds behind the whole thing. Which is super interesting because, and correct me if I'm wrong, but that kind that so that's exactly what Stuart Smith has now just done as well. He he pled not guilty at first, but now he switched to guilty to I think it's three of the charges, correct? And is facing like seventy right. years. So what does all of this tell you? Because it's still a lot of time for people that are apparently or might be giving information. Oh, absolutely. So back in March 2021, they both get indicted. Jen Shaw makes what's called a motion to dismiss. And and we can get into the details of that in a minute. But the motion to dismiss was based on some what what they said were procedural defects with her arrest. Mm. In response, and it was denied, it was it was denied rightfully so. And and we'll talk a little bit more about that because a second motion has come out more recently. But in response to that first motion to dismiss, prosecutors submitted information to the judge. So everybody makes what's called motions. You explain your side of the case. You explain your story and you ask the judge to grant some sort of relief. In these documents, the prosecutors submitted, they basically ranked the the alleged participants in this scheme by level of culpability, meaning you got your lower tier people and then you've got your tier A 
Okay. You got the top Uh tier. These are the people the federal government is saying, allegedly, are the ones who are responsible. They're the masterminds. They're the people that are the most culpable in the case. Two people on that Mm. list of six. There's six people identified. Jen Shaw Mm -hmm. and Stuart Smith. So they're both put into this top tier. Now, fast forward. They both plead not guilty. Fast forward to just Mm -hmm. a couple of days ago. Smith pleads guilty. So let's break down what happens during that time frame. He's obviously, he has attorneys. His attorneys Mm -hmm. are being provided during the, what's called discovery process with evidence Mm -hmm. that's been, uh, evidence that the prosecution has. So the prosecution has to turn over documents. The defense turns over documents. The prosecution has to prove its case. So they're the ones who have conducted this years long investigation. They're providing that information to the attorneys in advance of trial. And mm-hmm. the other piece of this is, Lauren, not th- there's two purposes. The other purpose is if the prosec- if the prosecutors are interested in obtaining more information, talking potential plea deals, this is how they leverage that. They say, here's our case. This is the strength of uh-huh. it. This is what we have. And then defense lawyers go back to their client and you talk about it and, and you go through all of the potential outcomes and the strength of the case and the weaknesses in the case and all of that. My guess is during this discovery period, there was significant evidence. And instead mm-hmm. of rolling the dice on a trial, Stuart Smith said, he would prefer to plead guilty. There's an element of control there, right? So even though the prosecution can't guarantee you a sentence because the judge ultimately has that discretion, the prosecution Mm -hmm. can say, we're going to ask for leniency. We're going to request X to X amount of years. So you have this lower tier group with five to seven. We don't know where Stuart Smith falls. Based on the statute, it could be up to 70 presumably it's significantly less or you wouldn't accept the plea deal, right? You wouldn't, you wouldn't accept something that was to your detriment. At that point, you'd rather roll the dice. But my guess is you don't get that leniency without providing information. And Mm. the fact that we have Smith pleading guilty and we have Jen Shaw making more motions to dismiss. Yeah. Yeah. That tells me that he had some information and look, there were six people on that tier A list. It could be against others also. The feds want to get the top tier people, right? But it does not look right. so good optically, just from a legal perspective, based on everything we know in the public sphere. That's not good news for Jen Shaw. Well, because that, that's what I was, I was interested because she, because you mentioned that she's filing all of these motions because she's, and she's filed more than one trying to get this, the indictment dismissed. And I mean, the most recent actually was just dismissed days ago because she had filed due to on November 29th, ABC News released um, a documentary, The Housewife and the Shaw Shocker. And the following day, her attorneys filed another motion to dismiss the case based on the release of that, claiming that it would be impossible for like this impartial jury. But the judge just denied that again, saying, citing no evidence whatsoever. So what does all of that tell you? I think, Lauren, based on the fact that another motion to dismiss has come down the pike, the defense team is pulling out all the stops. They're doing everything they can uh, to try and get rid of these charges. And that's not, you know, that's not unusual What's unusual is that you have the other person in this indictment who has pled guilty and you've got the other one going no holds bar to move to dismiss right around the same time period. Right. So this this is all kind of happening at the same time. 
Um, so the first motion to dismiss comes right after the indictment. The defense team mm-hmm. alleges that Jen Shaw was not read or did not act, have her Miranda rights given to her appropriately. They say that she signed off on her Miranda rights being read, but her contacts were dry, so she didn't really read it. Right, and right. They, yes, that they read them to her and that she couldn't, she signed it, but her, she had dry contacts, so she wasn't able to technically see what she was signing. However, the judge pointed out, you were also read them, so... Right. So it was dismissed. It, you, that's not it, it was not viable. Court said no. Moving on now. Fast forward. We have this new it, we have this new motion, which, again, is based on, as you said, Lauren, the publicity that came out of this Hulu documentary. And the court, of mm-hmm. course, denied it, which I could have predicted from reading it in the first moment, because, first of all, you're on a reality show, you know, that you put yourself on. Right. You're on. Okay. You're on, yes. you're in the public sphere by your own doing, right? Number one. Yeah. Number two, that argument is not really going to hold water in the context that it's being used. So the, they're saying that because this case is so high profile, because it's this Hulu documentary, she can't get a fair trial. That's not a reason to throw out an indictment. Just so everybody understands, an indictment being dismissed is probably the most severe penalty. That's what yes. I was actually wanting to ask you about and pre declared because this is uh, uh, unheard of. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, a, it's really severe. Look, yeah. it could it could happen in cases of misconduct. It happens. Uh, mm-hmm. It could happen in cases where civil rights were violated. We've all heard these terms like fruits of the poisonous tree, meaning that police mm-hmm. obtain information without uh, maybe executing a, a search warrant, that that first piece of evidence was was not obtained properly so every piece of evidence that comes from that has to be thrown out and then there's not enough those are the types of issues where you might see an mm-hmm. indictment thrown out it's a really really severe consequence uh to yes. to throw in an indictment so it's not going to happen because of the uh circumstances that jen shaw has raised look, look if she was not read her miranda rights there's a possibility right because we all know that yes. you have in of order course. for an arrest to be valid you have to be read your Miranda rights. So that might've been uh, an appropriate motion, but for the facts of the case, just didn't support uh, a a dismissal Mm -hmm. of the indictment. And the same here. So the arguments that she's raising about this Hulu documentary are more relevant to jury selection, whether the jury is going to be sequestered, where the case is going to be venued. We see this in high profile cases, especially in this new era of, everything's online, you know, news breaks before mm-hmm. <laughs> news breaks right. online before, you know, you can even open a document. You've already gotten 10 notifications about a, about a legal case. So that's where those yes. arguments might come into play, but they're not really relevant here. So I'm not surprised it was dismissed, but let me just tell you to, to take that type of hardcore, uh, you know, no stone left unturned pushback at every moment defense that costs a lot, a lot of dollars. Uh, and is, and especially on motions that aren't, you know, I can tell you there's not a lot of lawyers who are going to tell you that that motion was going to be <laughs> was going to be a winner. Right. So right. it's so desperation in my view. Delaying it's, time, it's Desperation, delaying time, trying everything. And why would you do that, Lauren? Well, maybe prosecutors aren't engaging with you. Maybe they feel they have a lot of case. Maybe maybe they are engaging, but you're not coming to a compromise. Let me hearken back to a case that we all. Uh, probably remember, and it was um, the college admissions scandal. 
So yes. reports indicated that in the beginning, so Lori Laughlin kind of became the face of that, although a lot of people were involved in it. She became the, she became the face of the case. And in the, in the very beginning, in the onset and through before she actually did plead guilty, there had been, uh, there had been reports that she had been meeting and discussing with prosecutors, but she wanted no jail time. So she wasn't going to plea unless there was oh, yes, agreement yep. for no jail time. Right. So ultimately that she did end up uh, accepting a plea deal, which included some jail time, but right out the gate, she didn't, she said no deal unless there's no jail time. Something similar could be going on behind the scenes. Perhaps Jen Shaw's idea of what a fair plea would be isn't in line with what prosecutors are willing to offer. So instead of negotiating a plea deal, they're having this really, really, really aggressive defense against these charges, which look, I, I have no issue, none at all with taking mm -hmm. an aggressive approach to any defense. Everyone is innocent until proven guilty, but looking right. at this case uh, from a bird's eye view and looking at all of the information that's in the public sphere, it looks to me like, there's probably a lot of information that's been given to the feds, to the federal government and to prosecutors by the other people who have now have, who now have plea deals. Cause remember Lauren, those 10 people, five to seven years, that's not nothing. That's not probation. That's significant yeah. jail time. It is. And Stuart, we don't know what it's going to be. My guess would be it's something in that range or more because he's been classified as being more culpable by prosecutors. In that top tier that you were talking Correct. about. Correct. Okay. So what does that mean for her? If he's accepting something on a higher level, uh, then it probably means that he's providing information that's very, very valuable to prosecutors, which is not good for the other folks who are allegedly involved in this case. And keep in mind, Lauren, when we look at the, the information that we know, and a lot of this is from the indictment. And just to be clear, there's not a lot of specific facts in the indictment. And, and that's, that's not uncommon because mm -hmm. Prosecutors don't always want all of their case to be public before you actually get in there into the courtroom. Um, and there might be right. Right. And there's more particularized information that's exchanged between the parties during this discovery phase. But one really key piece that I found to be very interesting in the indictment is the allegation that Shaw and, and Smith undertook significant efforts to hide their role incorporating their business entities using third-party names, telling other participants to do the same, encrypted message applications to communicate with other oh. members, instructing them to send shares of certain fraudulent post proceeds to offshore bank accounts, making numerous cash withdrawals structured to avoid currency transaction reporting requirements. I I'm reading part of that from the indictment. It, right. You don't have to be a lawyer to say, mm, that's a lot of detail and that's a lot of tech. The footprint, the footprint yeah. of technology. What does the federal Ooh. government have that they have accumulated, probably through search warrants that have been active for years, years? Okay. What type of written contemporaneous information do prosecutors have that they're intending to use as evidence? And if it's admissible, how damaging is that? So a lot of times we hear this trope. It's not the crime, it's the cover-up. But that's very much true, <laughs> yes. especially in white-collar crime cases. Because that conspiracy to commit the crime, but then that information that comes out in communications that has uh, 
a look of trying to cover up what's being done, that can be the most damaging information. So in my book, I read this, I see the guilty plea, and I say the prosecutors probably have a pretty strong case on information gathered in writing, right? It, I mean, well, seeing that in the indictment in the black and white, Encrypted and messages, ask, not so good, right? <laughs> right. Well, and let me ask you, because I think it, you brought this up in the very beginning, and I think it's so she's also on a reality show on camera during this time, flaunting the wealth and talking about the business and talking about Stuart and talking about, you know, she's done interviews talking about what her role was because there was a lot of confusion about what she did. There, I will say in season one, when the show came on, there was a lot of questions about what does she exactly do? Because she showed all this wealth, but it's a little bit confusing about what she did. And now this season, we obviously started with the arrest, but we just saw legitimately in the last episode, she already started when Heather was asking her about Stuart, it became a, Oh, she's already distancing herself. So, but this is all on camera. So how does that play into it? Because I have to assume all of it is very much fair game. All of it is fair game. And Lauren, we've probably seen less than 10% of yes. all of the footage yes. Bravo has. Yes. So their subpoenas, uh, you know, where, where all of that footage is going to be fair game, Bravo and NBC Universal, they probably, they'll probably have to turn over a decent portion of it, whatever is relevant. Uh, and then from there, the lawyers argue about what would actually come into the courtroom. But all of that information that you just flagged that is directly relevant to the allegations in this case, for instance, the wealth, the, the, the flaunting of the wealth, the conversations and communications about with, between her and Stuart, the fact that she could never really articulate what her job actually was. And all of the women had made comments about that, right? They said, well, we don't really yes. get it. Uh, yeah, it's because she's living this out over the top, unbelievably lavish lifestyle, you know, the kind of lifestyle yeah. that few of us could even comprehend. Right. Absolutely. And where does the money come from? They, they don't really know. And we also see a very tight relationship during the, the prior season with Stuart. We see Jen and Stuart. <laughs> Hand in hand, every scene almost. Absolutely. And we see them communicating. Yeah. We see them communicating via telephone. We see them communicating via text. All of that's going to be relevant. And so anything, anything that she says on television, anything in the public sphere is absolutely fair game. And then you have whatever came out that never made, you know, that was left on the cutting room floor in editing for Housewives, whatever's in there. Also fair game. Now we have all of these statements that she's making post-arrest. I mean, her yes. tagline, Lauren, I feel like she's almost, I, I don't know, I might lay low under her circumstances because <laughs> every single thing is potentially damaging. And even her tagline, yes. for those of you who don't know, her tagline is, the only thing I'm guilty of is being amazing. And it's just <laughs> kind of like, I don't know, all of this is, basically, she's been arrested. She's been indicted. She gets arrested yes. on the show and now she's yes. continuing on the show. She's continuing on. And at what point is there going to be an even further argument that her flagrant disregard and, I, and I'm talking yes. like a million steps down the road when say you go to trial, 
Say you, you know, that you end up with a guilty verdict and then you're talking about penalty phase and you're talking about sentencing. At what point is your flagrant disregard for taking responsibility or your flagrant disregard for continuing to showcase this lavish lifestyle under those circumstances to your detriment in a penalty phase of a trial? And I would say it's guaranteed to be problematic and potentially part of why a a resolution or a plea deal couldn't be reached because that would also be a component of what prosecutors are willing to do at this point. That's interesting. Well, yeah, because think about it. Stewart, you know, he's portrayed on the show. Let's just say, and and again, this is not insider information or anything. This is just based on everything that's in the public sphere and watching the show. Absolutely. Just us watching. Yep. Yeah. Stewart's Stewart's, um, portrayed as an assistant. He's we don't really know much about his life absent doing a lot of errands and activities and working directly with Jen. We don't see his mansion. No, no. We don't see him walking around with wads of cash. We don't see him going on lavish vacations. We see her doing that, though. Right. And so when you're talking about a white-collar crime, a fraud case, it's it's just that information and all of that that's being shown on television is directly related to how your wealth is generated. And her husband's a, a well, college this, football coach. I mean, it's, yeah. his wealth is going to be, you know, his his salary is going to be public, actually. It's, I believe it's a public university. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. And, 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 I'm not, and, and their income, their taxes, everything, everything is going to be scrutinized because that's all paper trail stuff. So then you got paper trail, plus uh-huh. you have all of this information that's coming out from her mouth, her words. Right. Well, and that's, let me ask you this. And because she's obviously has denied to, from the second that this has happened. And, you know, she said that she's doing the show because she has nothing to hide. Actually, something we saw very similar with Erica Jane in her case and why she continued to do the show. But even if you are completely innocent, isn't it just such a risk to be saying any of these things to, and to, you know, and the tagline like that? I, I, I agree with you. Yes. Especially since it appears that she might have had some awareness that eyes were on her dating back to 2015 before she joined the show. So, Lauren, can you bring us through the fact? I, I know that she was deposed, correct? Yes. So reportedly in 2015, she was actually deposed by the Federal Trade Commission for the work that she did with uh, a company called Thrive, which is a telemarketing company. And subsequently, I think it was uh, with a year or two afterwards, they were then fined $27 million um, in in a scheme. Right. So she has actually met with them before. Uh, Right. And we don't know whether or not that has we, anything to do with the current charges. It could be completely unrelated, absolutely. Right. But, but the fact she's being deposed by the... It's a, they have eyes yeah, on Yeah, you've got eyes absolutely. on you. And so just to give everybody a, a, a little bit of insight as to how these white-collar crime cases usually play out, and I, and I don't know if it happened in this particular case because we're not privy to that information. It hasn't been publicly disclosed. Mm-hmm. But in general, when, when we're talking about white-collar crime... What happens before somebody is arrested is, or even indicted in some circumstances, is they receive what's called a target letter. And a target letter is a formal notification from the U.S. Attorney's Office that there is evidence linking that person to criminal activity. So once a target letter is sent, 
Right, right. There's a very high likelihood that criminal charges are coming down the pike. Now, generally, a target letter gives this per- a person basic details about the crime the government is investigating, doesn't necessarily reveal everything, and doesn't reveal the full scope mm-hmm. of the case, but it's usually okay. a pre-indictment notification that allows that potential defendant to talk resolution with the U with with the U.S. attorney before charges and charges or a crime is made public, and because there's this whole group of people that were indicted and pled guilty in 2019, mm-hmm. I think it would be unusual if she hadn't received this target letter at some point in between. So, couple that with 2015, right? And mm-hmm. it just seems like there's some level of notice right. that there's a potential problem. Even if, even if you're innocent, say, say this all becomes, you know, innocent until proven guilty. Say she's yes. proven, you know, say, say that she's exonerated and that she, you know, it, there's a not guilty verdict to trial on all charges. And let's go hypothetically there. Just giving that ammunition and continuing to show the lifestyle, continuing to make statements that could potentially directly relate to these allegations, it's really damaging. And and, and as I, I, you know, we started off as a defense lawyer, you really want to control anything that's in in the public sphere and any information that's any evidence that's being exchanged. You want to be in control of those statements. You in general, you don't want your client going rogue. You don't want your client on social media. You don't (laughs) want your client talking to everybody. You want to, you want to keep your case tight so that you have the ability to conduct your own investigation and to combat the evidence that the prosecution is providing without giving them anything extra. (laughs) And and Lauren, the other piece is, you know how this works. It's like a snowball, right? I feel like once you start talking, you just open yourself up to potentially other things too that they might not have even been looking at. You say something wrong. What if maybe she's innocent of all these things, but something else she says, they're like, bing, wait a second. And it reminds but it flagged something else. Right. Or another avenue to pursue evidence. So in a court, in order for, in order to exchange certain evidence, you have to have, you have to show that it's relevant. That's the first step. You show that it's relevant. And then you have to show that it has probative value. And then, you know, this is how, what, what prosecutors are doing, right? As they gather evidence. And so when you're talking about what is actually heard at trial, you have to, you have to have a basis for Every piece of evidence that you collect in order to get it in, even if the prosecution has evidence, it doesn't always make it into the courtroom at trial. So you have certain Mm -hmm. benchmarks that you have to uh, get to as a prosecutor or a defendant to get information to the jury's ears and into the courtroom. Now, statements that she's making could potentially make evidence that would normally have never seen the light of day relevant because there's Ah. more context. Whatever it might be, whether it's telephone conversations, whether it's text messages, whether it's emails, whether it's encrypted messages on apps, whether it's bank accounts, whether it's purchases, whether, you know, that every, you're following the money is usually where, where everybody starts in white collar crime cases, right? You follow the money. Right. And you also, as I said, you work your way from bottom up because what you want are the people who are responsible as the masterminds of a fraud scheme. And that's in general how prosecutors approach these cases. So 
all of that being said, you do not want to be making extraneous statements that could potentially come back to haunt you, depending on what they already have or what they're seeking, given the, the opening of the door to more information based on statements that you're making yourself on a reality TV show. I can imagine her lawyers are probably, you know, every night, oh. <laughs> every time the show is on or... Maybe they've even asked for what's going to be aired in advance. I would imagine that, that that's what I would do under those circumstances. Like, I need to know what's going on here. Please, exactly. And going through every detail of it to assess whether or not there's something that's particularly damaging. Because we, as the public, don't really know what the prosecution has. We only know what the indictment says. So some of it could fit together a little bit more than we can even understand. What I'm talking about is this high level, just the optics of the case where you have a group of people pleading guilty in 2010. Then you have a second indictment coming out in 2021. You have both plead not guilty. And then after, you know, what, what is that, you know, like six, seven months of exchanging of information with the prosecution, which is what happens during this yes. time frame, you have one of the two people who's also flagged as being the most culpable plead guilty. And the other one making motions that really, really, really are not meritorious just on their face. So that tells me that she, she has problems. Her, she has problems in her case. Um, you know what that means moving forward. Only time will tell, but I guarantee your lawyer's like, could you stop, please? <laughs> <laughs> we're going to be, and when that's the other thing is because they're, they're, they're going to be filming a reunion. I would have to assume that the reunion taping is going to be coming up soon. And this is going to be a huge portion because of all of the stuff that's currently going on. And Andy has never not asked any of the questions. We saw how it went down with Erica Jane and their reunion. He asked every single right. question the viewer has been asking, everything that the prosecution's been, I mean, he really went there. So I can imagine that they're probably, I would assume that they're going to insist on maybe even being there. I can't even imagine because it's just, she's in the thick of it right now. Yeah, totally. I, if I had to guess, I would say, so she's supposed to be going to trial March 2022, yes. which quite frankly, isn't that far oh, away, right? right? That's pretty darn close. Whether or not that gets pushed back, who knows? But uh, federal courts usually pretty tight on their deadlines, but there's a, a, a whole host of reasons why it could be pushed back. But my guess would be when they film the reunion, I don't know if it's filmed or already filming, she has probably been instructed to say nothing but some sort of very innocuous canned response. She's probably been instructed to, to just affirm, you know, I'm innocent, innocent until proven guilty and answer no detail of any question. Because the difference between her and Erica Jane, Erica Jane has not been charged criminally. So she's mm. involved in bankruptcy proceedings and there's a whole host of civil litigation, civil. Yep. right? Okay. All civil litigation. And she's named in it because her, because of her business entities and the commingling the alleged commingling of the funds and the bankruptcy case, which takes all of the assets they're married. Right. So it takes all of right. the assets and it divvies them out to creditors, whoever those creditors may be, but there has not been a criminal case against her or Tom to date. Right. Right. Whether or not that's being built, my guess would be based on the allegations, there's most certainly an investigation going on. What right. that results in, I don't know. But while her lawyers, and I think she said it, they told me not to say anything. And I'm saying more <laughs> right. than I she should did. be. She did. Um, you know, her situation is slightly different because she has not been charged with a crime. Jen Shaw 
has been charged with serious, serious federal crimes. Charged with them, arrested. She's out on. Uh, she's out on bail. She's not on bond. Yes, you a know, in a dollars. million dollar bond. You know, yeah, a million dollars. Yeah, a million dollar bond. So she's, you know, she's in the midst of a criminal prosecution. It's a very different position to be in. Now, I'm sure Erica Jane's lawyers are saying much of the same concerns exist. In that, right? There's there's people watching you. There's investigators who are deep diving mm-hmm. into what happened here, and you don't want to give information that could lead to potential criminal culpability or civil culpability. Yes, but for Jen Shaw, this this would be the time to take a step back, and I think that with both, the problem is that you want good lawyers in a federal court to go up against just federal prosecutors are. So talented. They are they are <laughs> among the best of the best. The, the best of the best. The yep. best of the best. And the Southern District of New York does not mess around. Oh no. So they're the best of the best. They have like a 99% conviction rate. I was just gonna, I mean, yeah, you would, it's know. Insane. You would yeah. know you're there. Yeah. They're amazing. Yeah, I'm a New York lawyer. I mean, the federal <laughs> prosecutors in New York are incredible. And and across the country, they're incredible. You're talking cream of the crop. Right. So you need defense lawyers that can that are that are that are skilled. In this type of law mm-hmm. and in federal court, and they are not inexpensive. So I, and, and there, this isn't a civil case where there's a contingency fee waiting at the end of the day. This is this is uh-huh. hourly. You know, this is paying yes. paying for your defense. And so my guess would be that she's stuck between a rock and a hard place because the amount of money that a defense is going to cost to go through a federal trial is is significant, and. Probably uh, her only way to generate money at this point is her public persona. And so I'm sure that's part of the reason why she continues on, because I would say in general, it would be against her best interest as as just a a general principle for any type of criminal case. You don't want to be out there making statements in the media that aren't completely controlled and uh, you know, and, and very, very and scrutinized and strategic. Right. I, so Miss, it's going to be really, really interesting. I, like you said, the trial, it's supposed to be, it's set for March. We'll see. I, I mean, and obviously we know that that last motion was dismissed, but I mean, I don't necessarily do rule out potentially seeing any other motions filed beforehand before March to try and delay any more or get this dismissed again. Yeah, we could we could absolutely see it because it's also fact specific that it's difficult to yep. predict. So we'll see. It's going to be very what will happen. But I do think, yeah, the biggest piece of news to come out of this, though, right now is Smith pleading guilty. And Lauren, you flagged it. This is really interesting. You have a keen eye because the minute that they were arrested, she was making statements on that show in the episode saying trying to trying to distance herself from Stewart. It was like, oh, mag- magic. I mean, it was season one, right hand man, and saying it to that episode, going, I mean, I barely know what he does. I was just like, uh oh. It just it sets some yeah. red flags off. So I think it's all going to be, it's very interesting. And there's yes. a lot that's going to come out. Yes. So more on that. Uh, as as more facts come out. And Lauren, we're going to be yes. doing a roundup next week, correct? Yes. Yes, we're going to do we're going to do we're getting into Christmas holidays. We've got some crazy things that have been going on just, you know, in the news that we would love to do like a little roundup of, you know, pop culture things and everything like that. So I'm very excited about it. 
Great. Well, thank you so much, everybody, for listening. We will keep you up to date on any further developments in this case, which I'm sure we'll see because, look, March is not so far away. March nope, 2022. It is. It's, co- it's going to come A couple quick. months. But, uh, Lauren, always a pleasure. Thank you so much. Always a pleasure. Thanks, Misty. This has been great. Thanks, all. All right. Bye, everyone.